Welcome to the Passion Harvest podcast audio series. Thank you so much for listening today. I am Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. If you would like to watch this episode, please head over to our Passion Harvest channel on YouTube. We love taking you on a journey to discover your passions. Thanks for listening. Hello, passionate listeners. Welcome to Passion Harvest. We aim to inspire you to live a passionate life. I have a couple today on the show and I'm very excited to explore all the incredible things that they're doing. Richard DeWells and Geraldine Taylor-Wood. Following a series of visions, Richard and Geraldine left their home in England and were guided to a place with unique healing waters in Queensland, Australia that welcomes visitors from around the world. Richard is a crystal healer, dowser, artist and conservator and Geraldine, an astrologer, author and seer. This is going to be exciting. Richard and Geraldine also take groups to Grail Haven in the south of France, touring sacred sites with deep connections to Mary Magdalene, the Cathars Ninth Templar and Black Madonnas. This is their story and this is their passion. I've got so many questions and I can't wait to dive right in. Richard and Geraldine, welcome to Passion Harvest. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, something so close to my heart. I'm fascinated by the south of France and the sites that you visit, but I guess I really have to ask the question, what made you leave England and travel all the way across the world to Queensland? (laughs) (laughs) No left brain intention whatsoever. Never looking to come here or be here or live here at all. So then the story begins. I was quite unwell and I wasn't getting better. It was some kind of flu or something. So I I was doing a lot of yoga and meditation at the time. So I was kind of told or got the intuition to go and spend a few nights at Glastonbury in Somerset in mm-hmm. England and to drink the well water there, which is healing water. Uh, that was just very strong in me to do that. So on a dark and gloomy January day, Richard and I set out driving from uh, where we live, Tunbridge Wells, Kent, about four hours to the Chalice Well. And I drank some of the water, went to bed that night and had a life-changing experience. So what happened in your life-changing experience? (laughs) (laughs) There's a big pause there. Anyone who knows me knows don't wake me up in the middle of the night, right? You oh, may live. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, I sleep very deep. Just in case we ever sleep together, I'll <laughs> never do that. <laughs> never, never, ever, ever. Richard knows this. So <sighs> in the night, you know, and I'm a bit fluey and not well and very, very tired. So in the night, um, we're staying at the Chalice World Retreat Centre in Glastonbury. And I roll over in the night, my eyes come open, and there's a man standing in the middle of the room. And he says something to me, um, but I'm deeply asleep. So I look at him and it's like, no, 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 not now. And I roll over, go back to sleep again. And 
next time I come awake, it's probably around just before dawn. This time he is just um, very, very near to me. His face is there. And he calls me, and this is quite significant, daughter of the well. Mm. So, you know, we've got the surname de Wells of the well. Oh, okay. My father was Welsh, so a big connection with the cult, cult of the well in the old days, in ancient times. So daughter of the well, you are going to Australia to find a unique water. When the time is right, give it to the people. That's all I had to go on. Um, and the only thing I would say is you would have thought there's a burglar in the room because he was a man. And the only difference was after his sort of legs, knees, there was a deep blue light all around him. So his legs sort of vanished into light and he had this deep, deep blue light around him. But I also did recognize him because if you walk into Chalice World, Glastonbury and the library, mm -hmm. there's a photograph of a man called Major Wesley Tudor Pole, who as far as the world is concerned, was the man who bought the chalice well, the land, the well, and the Glastonbury that everyone knows today was instigated by this man they called Tudor Pole. So he was a Christian mystic. He was what you'd call today a channeler, but in those days a medium. But he was deeply, um, not church, but spiritual Christian. Um, so it was he who was standing before me and saying, off you go to Australia. And I mean, were you, I guess the first thought that comes to my mind is, were you scared that seeing this apparition of a man in your room? No, because um, I've been somewhat psychic from about five years old, according to my mother's sisters, of which there were many. And I, all my life I've had various um, experiences like this, but never are they meaningless or just to see a ghost or anything like that. It's always something big is about to happen and I get told. So, I mean, what's interesting from that point on is selling your home and your house. You've got pets, you've got children, um, you've got a passport, and you might as well just go to Australia and burn it because the rest is history. And we were sent to Australia. So um, we got through Australia house process and we were so surprised that we were given, you know, um, passage to Australia that we could yeah. actually come here. So we thought this whole thing was going to be for two or three years and then we go back home. Um, but we are now 25 <laughs> years later um, and you're still in another there. land. <laughs> I love the fact that this incredible man, apparition energy, woke you in the night and you went back to sleep. <laughs> I, I know that is so just me as a human being. Do not wake me up in the night. He should have known that. <laughs> so, so I guess that segues me into how did you find this incredible okay. well... Well, that was the next thing. So Australia know, like, is a big country. I know. So <laughs> we came into Sydney and um, that wasn't right at all. So I was going to sort of meditation groups, etc., saying, 
does anyone know a sacred well? Is there a well? Is there a well? And they were saying, there's a bore, there's a, <laughs> a bit of all. Never heard these words before, of course, coming more or less. We're Londoners, we're both Londoners. So um, it took three years to, um, through dreams, guidance, and night after night, I was actually over this place, this house, this garden in Queensland. I had all the visuals before I ever walked into the gate. So I was being shown this place for three years. But after three years, we got a call to say, go back to Chalicewell and run Chalicewell. Um, and that was a struggle because we'd left our families. Richard had parents, etc. Um, I had children and, you know, to turn around and go back because nothing had happened. And we got right onto the edge of, well, this has got to happen or we go home. And then, of course, it all began to happen. And we very quickly walked into, this is a one acre garden that is exactly the same dimensions as the sacred garden at the Chalice Well. Um, and it's, it's most beautiful, it's flowering trees, it's jasmine, it's yeah, the most beautiful garden. So anyway, that's the story of how we got here. It, the whole thing was guidance, dreams, dowsing, insights, guides. What a, what a beautiful journey. So the, the land, it's one acre? One acre. That you purchased with your dowsing, did you create the well or was there already a well on the property? No, there was one here already that two very spiritual ladies had determined was uh, over special water. They brought an elderly gentleman in on the bus as a dowser because they knew there was special water here, but they didn't know where it was. So he came. He was about 83. And uh, he doused the whole property. And he said, you can pretty much drop a, a, a bore here anywhere. You'll hit water but there was one very special place and he told them where it was and they did no more. They, they got a driller in and they drilled there. The driller didn't want to drill where they were suggesting because mm -hmm. it was too near the front door of the house. Right. But they said, no, it must be here. And they had a thousand dollars and it was in those days, it was $10 a foot to drill. And they had just enough money to go down and hit two underground springs. So when two underground springs cross, they create an electromagnetic field between the two of them. And any water that's drawn up through that electromagnetic field, it changes the angle of atomic bond of the water and it makes it healing water. This is proved through physics. And ultimately we had the Japanese scientist uh, Emoto photograph our water in crystal form and he confirmed it was very special water and i just say so we went on to hand bottle the water oh wow so dr emoto's crystal was similar to that and this a little bit of our can you hold it still for a second just the oh. front of it yeah for anyone that's watching you've got to watch this <laughs> anyone that's listening go to youtube and have a look Wow. So we hand bottled the water for healers, essence makers, etc. But the big story is we had so many groups and people come in asking our story in the early days. So we wrote a book 
um, a journey to a sacred well. Um, and the symbol there was created by Richard. Um, but I don't know if you'll quite see this, but um, a Druid Scottish guy, Hamish Miller, actually made the symbol for us that we use. Um, so we wrote a book about it so we wouldn't have to keep telling the story so many times. But I guess you still do. And I have to say congratulations on writing a book because I know <laughs> the work that goes in, in, into writing a book, it's, it's incredible. It is a lot. So I just wanted to ask you, Richard, about when two uh, springs cross. Yeah. Is this, an unco- I mean, is this uncommon? It's uncommon in as much they have to be the right distance between each, each spring. If the distance is too much, then there isn't that same energy. And if it's too little, it's the wrong energy as well. So it has to be pretty much the same distance between the lower and the upper spring. It's a a thing that's recognised all around the world now. And most sacred sites in Europe, Mm -hmm. whether they be uh, Neolithic or post-Christian, have underground springs under them. And so when early peoples who could actually see things like ley lines and perceive energy lines in the earth, they would always put a stone circle or a min here on that point to mark a sacred site. And what they were tuning into was earth energy, basically. And this carried on all the way through. And so when the Christians arrived and they saw a very early sacred site and people were going there to worship, they did no more. They just whacked a church on top of it so that the people didn't think about it. They just went into church instead of uh, dancing around the, uh, the stone circle. So this has got a very long history of uh, earth energies and ley lines are very much connected with underground springs. So this was a thing, I mean, all our life together, we've worked on guidance. And the only way for guidance to work is to allow yourself to be guided. And that's it, that's, that's the secret to guidance. If you resist guidance, then it's gonna retreat from you. But if you leave yourself open to spiritual guidance, your whole world changes. It's quite extraordinary. Your life changes and it becomes much bigger and much richer. So the way we've kind of worked together, I'm the dream. <laughs> and uh, Obviously, not to yeah. be woken up. <laughs> Don't wake me up. I'm, I'm in another place dreaming. So much of what we've done, the big things that we've done, have been uh, prophesized, if you like, through dreams way before we've done them. I've walked in the houses that I've, you know, come up to be in later on that I've never seen before or, you know, the sacred site too, as we've seen. So I see the big overview. Um, Richard has his guides and uses dowsing um, to tighten up the picture, if you like, and create the further guidance so that, you know, I'm getting the big picture, but you've still got to manifest it on the face of the earth. So working together in this way is what we do. What a beautiful, incredible combination. I love that. (laughs) And I'm particularly interested in the ley lines and the springs. So the two springs uh, where they join, does the water combine together? No. No, you draw up the water from the lower spring Ah. through the higher spring. So that's where the water mingles. It mingles around the higher, higher spring. 
if you think of a spring as pretty much an underground lake or an underground stream, yes, that's how they are. So they tend to run along fissures in the rock or stratas of rock. But when we first arrived at this house, it was very clear that this was the place. I mean, the feeling was, was overwhelming. I mean, we were being shown very strongly that this was the place. And when I arrived, my heart was going it was like a heart attack. And I said to the real estate agent, I said, is there a, is there a well here? And he said, no, no, I don't think so. And I said, yeah, I think there is. And he said, well, there's a bore. And I said, well, what's a bore? <laughs> and he said, well, you drill a hole and you hit water. And I said, well, we tend to call that a well. <laughs> I love that. So when he said that, I was in the garden. He said, would you like to see the house? And I said, no. We bought it without ever seeing the house. I didn't need to, I didn't need to see the house. We bought the garden <laughs> and the well that we were sent to. So, um, yeah. Can I just say one thing? That of course, that, please. That, um, you know, the garden is so beautiful. I had dream after dream of these flowering trees in the garden, flowering shrubs, flowering, um, <laughs> just plants everywhere. So out of what the water goes into now is flower essences. So um, the flower essences were taken into the Endeavour College of Natural Medicine so they teach the English bush flowers, the Australian, sorry, Australian bush flowers, the English bark, and they were looking for a third essence. So the Grailhaven flower essences are two thirds of this spring water. So when people use the flower essences that are birthed, as they say, from this garden, from this patch of land, um, they've got that water in them alongside jacaranda, roses, lilies, um, angel trumpet tree, etc. So we have 38 of those now that go out with the water in those flower essences. This is just wonderful and I can just see you're both so passionate about this incredible journey that, that you've been on and uh, just going back I love that um, you mentioned before Richard about the, the, the springs that are underground there's actually there's an energy in the land, which is where they, you know, you said the early Christians or uh, in ancient times, they put a stone there to represent the energy mm. of the land, which potentially was a ley line or a spring underneath. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Um, the Aboriginals knew this very well. They were very connected with earth energy and to them, there was strong energy and less strong energy. And it was seen to be not the best place to live up here. They would come up here, mm. they would forage, they would spend perhaps a couple of days up here, but they would okay. never, they'd never live up here because they consider it to be God's, God's country up mm. here. So it's not surprising the amount of crystals in the earth here, this underground water, it is a very magical place, Tambourine. Mm. And it's, it's one of those places where you come and it's, it's quite uh, transformative. So because of the rock, it's, it's, um, it's a metamorphic rock. So it encourages change. So if you want to change your life or change your mindset, this is the sort of place you come and live because the rocks and the energy here change you and help you to change. So what have the, I mean, obviously there's been incredible changes within you and I know you do welcome visitors 
to grow. We've had many groups and we've had quite impromptu like groups from Alaska and all around the world just sometimes suddenly turn up. They usually find me hanging not out. Booking. Not booking? making a booking? <laughs> no, no, it can be quite strange. But can I go on to um, what happened after the epoch of the water? And Yes, please. We didn't come here to make a water business at all. We now give this water away um, because people want it for flower essences and healing. We've had a lot of people here suffering from cancer, including my daughter, which... Um, we gave, uh, she was taking a lot of the water, but then that was like, that's one whole story. But mm -hmm. um, what came next was the sacred site tours. And we were living in Neutral Bay, Sydney. It was just before coming up here. But um, yes, I was awoken in the night. <laughs> and uh, there was like an energy whoosh through the room. And the next thing, there's a very tall archangel and just to describe him i mean his legs and feet went down through the earth we were up on the first story and the rest of his body up above the building and it i wrote to the college of psychic studies giving them a full description and also of what happened and got the letter back which i kind of already right i already knew that it was archangel michael who often has this deep cobalt blue aura around him. But from that moment, I was whizzed off in astral travel to go, be going through the ethers at like what felt like breakneck speed and ended up over what I could see was the outline, very familiar, of the British Isles, where he was holding me under his body. I'm looking down from a great height and he draws a long silver sword and places it in the land of Ingerland. And every time he places it, the Michael Ley line lights up as brilliant as electric lightning. And he does this over and over again all night. And this is finished by him standing in the bedroom and I'm seeing him and he places the handle of the sword low in my body and the sword is etherically through my body and all the auras chakras just light up my light body fills the room and then it all begins to go and i'm supposed to make out what he's telling me to do which to put a long story together was to take groups to the michael line of the british isles which goes from cornwall through glastonbury out through the east which is what he was showing me all night well that started eight years of taking groups to walk and heal the Michael line in England. Hence, we then met Hamish Miller, who made our symbol, the Grailhaven symbol. And he was the discoverer of the Mary Ley line in Britain. But after eight years of that work, the guidance came to go into France. And we've spent a lot of time and now live part of the year in France. But on those subsequent tours, we annually would go to different places. One year it was the Greek islands, it was Italy, it was Israel. But it was all the Grail line from Western Ireland to Jerusalem. So it took us 20 years to be breaking that down, taking groups every year to different parts or sometimes back to 
same ones. So now we've got a second Grail Haven Centre in France, in the Languedoc, and it's building as a spiritual education centre. Um, and the reason why the south of France, obviously the guidance, but also every group we took through this amazing part of the Occitan or the Languedoc, um, it's rich in history. It's the French mystery scores. It's the persecuted Cathars. It's black Madonnas. There's gypsy culture there. And so now annually we're taking tours to France to stay in our retreat center at Grailhaven on France. Um, and from there go to Lourdes, which is the healing water in the West. And from there to the East, Provence, where there are the relics of Mary Magdalene. So Mary Magdalene was another whole night of vision with me, with her teaching and telling me teachings that I've now done just over 20 years of workshops based around Magdalene in France, Germany, Britain, Australia, New Zealand. Um, so that's the, I call it the divine feminine, which is our next tour. I'm just blown away by all this incredible information. Every time you say something new, I'm like, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> more questions, more questions. <laughs> well, my first thought is what, what, what's Richard doing while you're having like all your chakras activated and Archangel Michael's in the room? <laughs> yeah, I'm not doing anything at all. I'm you're just asleep. Ignoring it. <laughs> I'm just, uh, asleep. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> so he doesn't but, want to be woken up either <laughs> okay but that i mean that 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 visual that you provided with archangel michael that was amazing well not only that i mean you could say you know uh, hallucinations you can say madness whatever but the the distinctive thing was this deep rich cobalt blue and the subsequent thing was that when we took groups to michael line michael cathedrals michael chapels um, sacred sites like St. Michael's Mount, Mont Saint-Michel, Monte Angelo, all these Archangel Michael sites in Europe. We have it from myself and someone in the group seeing, or even on photos, that a deep bar of cobalt blue comes into the place and I go, oh, and someone goes, ah, and we're more than one person is seeing it. To me, it's like his calling card and he's, you know, saying, yes, you're on the right time, the right track, you're here, I'm here. And it's the presence of Archangel Michael, which is very, very potent. For the work Richard and I do, if you put yourself under any spiritual guide or guidance at all you need someone with a sword and a shield and all the battle armor because we do get and have had over the years tests challenges opposition you know obviously a lot of people think we're quite crazy but um we work through these because it always opens to something more wondrous and amazing and this is what we love to do as you say this is our passion this is what our life is together. I think to have these spiritual experiences, uh, you have to pretty much surrender to a higher power, whatever you want to call that. If you surrender to the higher power and are prepared to do work that's, that's given you to do mm -hmm. for, 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 for in a spiritual goodness. way, yeah. then it comes. Mm -hmm. But you're very 
very heavily uh, uh, you're you're kind of tested early on in the piece. Like, how much do you really want this? How how much do you how much are you prepared to do? How much are you prepared to give for a higher cause? And once you've got over some of that early testing, you're given more and more and more and more to do, and it doesn't get any easier. This is a warning. This is a health warning, <laughs> a spiritual health warning. You get harder and harder jobs. But you love it. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a very different life. I, I tried the other life, you know, mm. nine to five jobs and um, pension schemes and all that sort of thing. But um, it's not, it's not no good. So you, you did mention before about, you know, learning to f f listen to the universe or flow with life. And that is very hard to let go of that control in our humanness. Yes. It is. Well, do you, you how do you remind play. yourself just, you know, just allow it and let it go? Sort of, is there any tips on that flowing process? Like a stream? Yeah, like yeah a... There, is a, there is a tip. You have to give up the idea of linear time. You have to abandon the concept that everything runs in linear time. It doesn't. So when you're given some information today, mm -hmm and nothing happens tomorrow, it can happen in seven years' time. When you're given advice today about tomorrow, it doesn't necessarily happen tomorrow, whatever you're asking about. So linear time is the big killer. This is the great restriction. So when you're given a sight of something, or you're given information about something, you don't quite know when it's going to happen. And let me tell you that Apparently, with an Aboriginal person, they can say to you, I'm coming to dinner, but you don't know whether it's going to be tomorrow <laughs> or in seven years' time. So you have to have something ready for them until they do come. That's true. Is that, is that also called patience? <laughs> yeah, yeah, patience. Because from my vision to walking into the gates at Grailhaven on Mount Tambourine was a good three years. So um holding the faith and holding the energy you know it is it is a test and of course you've got all your family and friends saying well just come back home <laughs> what's wrong with you <laughs> i feel like you're talking exactly to me because i've always said i'd love an excel spreadsheet of every day for my life i probably wouldn't but it, you know <laughs> um and i guess it's also that knowing feeling knowing and knowing that everything's going to be okay and oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a divine timing for everything. I think you've mm -hmm. hit the nail on the head. Your knowing is your knowing. And I'm so glad I've got a, a gauge, if you like, like a Geiger counter of knowing. I even know when people are lying to me. I just had this knowing for so, for so long, even as a child. But what I would say if I'm, you know, I do a lot of teaching. I run a lot of workshops, etc. But I would say what increases, develops your knowing and your intuition is most definitely meditation. Um, so I'd, I'd put that in because I always say that prayers are talking to God. Meditation is listening to God. Oh, um, I have to write that and, down. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I came <laughs> to that as a yoga teacher of 40 years. Um, prayer is talking to God. We all know the Christian prayers, etc. But meditation is that deep, deep silence, which is is going to hit the chord that is your internal knowing. Mm. 
and then you just know you've got to get up and go to France or Fiji or wherever you want to, you're being guided to. It's, it's the development. So Richard's developed his intuition more in the direction of crystals, crystal healing, his Reiki master, dowsing, etc. Um, the sacred sites and mines through um, it has been yoga for 40 years but that's went some years ago um, astrology and the writing and um, teaching I love to teach more than anything so at the moment with my knowledge of planets earth energy the Magdalene codes etc um, I love to teach you know just share the knowledge I have or the knowing I have if you like it's it's so obvious, you know, you're both lighting up when you talk about this. I just wanted to touch on for me as well, but for our audience, you talk about the Michael line or yeah. the Mary line. Do you mind just explaining that a little bit? Sure. Um, so these ley lines, ley just means light. Even in the Welsh culture, it's koal, but it's actually the word for coal because coal burns red, bright heat and white heat. So these ley lines or lines of light, which I believe that the Aboriginals would call song lines, mm -hmm. are highly charged magnetic pathways in the earth and they have convergences also. So they run like, they run like snakes and serpents around the world, but where they converge or they're very strong, there's a high magnetic energy. So it was named um, because it was like rediscovered from ancient times in Christian times. So who has the straight sword and that kind of energy but Archangel Michael? So by the early people of Christianity, but it went way back before this, it was named the Michael line and it's like the sword in the land as I was seeing. But then Hamish Miller in England um, was called upon by authors to like redows and divine these ley lines, and he almost by accident found the one that runs off it in curves, which is snake-like, or the Chinese will call them dragon lines, and that was in Britain the Mary line. So the Michael and the Mary line are together. But I came in on that when um, big healing association healers in England said that once a year they in quotes, take up the Michael line. In other words, it's to be um, healed and even mended because all this construction and concrete and the things that sabotage the flow of a ley line is a consideration for healers. But having taken these groups to Britain for many years, we found that our people, our group with us, would be far more electrified and alight on the Michael Lion than when we did a detour and stayed somewhere else and they were off the lines and in between, shoom, you know, the chakras would not be so stimulated and it's more restful, but you're not so charged. Um, and my Kaelic energy is courage, bravery, fortitude, get up there, go, 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 go. And the Mary energy, when you're on those lines, it's all the little quiet, woodland holy wells and crossing springs and there's a relaxed feminine energy when you're on those lines and with our groups we can very much feel and discern the difference between being on a michael line and a mary line 
How interesting. And you also talk about Archangel Michael with the blue, represented by a blue color. Does Mary have a, a specific color? In that way of the, the Mary line, um, I very quickly, after five hours of a lecture by Hamish Miller on the two lines, Michael, yeah. Mary, Mary, Michael, and I was quite new to all this, I said, well, what does the Mary line feel like? And he said, ah, that's for you to find out. Ah, oh, okay. <laughs> well, so straight from there, I went to Glastonbury and I sat in the Mary Chapel, which is next to all the converging ley lines over the Glastonbury tour. And what happens is my eyes start going up into my head and <laughs> very staccato breathing. I go out of the body. And what I experienced the Mary line as was pink light. And it was just descending and descending. And it felt like the love of a thousand mothers. It just felt this overwhelming um, love was the Mary, the Mary line. So that was my experience of it. How beautiful. And as you said, it's, you know, it's, it's different for everyone. And also you talk about the ley lines or the light lines. Some people call them energetic highways. There are maps of them. I mean, you can search up online, there's maps of ley lines. Yes. Um, um, from around the world. Yeah, the book that Hamish Miller and Paul Broadhurst wrote was The Sun and the Serpent. Okay. The sun line being Michael and the serpent line being Mary or the feminine. So they're just discerning, you know, spirit and soul, um, the male and the female and how they entwine. Interesting. And I'll just do on a final note of the ley lines. I have heard quite recently, and many people have been talking about that the ley lines or the grid lines or energetic lines are moving as moving. the earth moves, moves. The actual yeah. ley lines um, are moving. What, what are your thoughts on that? We had that experience when there's four sacred sites to Archangel Michael in Europe, his sanctuaries. One, they've just made a Star Wars movie on, Skellig Michael in Ireland, sadly. Um, now Hollywood is there. Um, St. <laughs> Michael's Mount, Mont Saint-Michel, and Monte Angelo, which is the spur of Italy. So we went there, and we went to where the sanctuary was, and it was completely overloaded with coaches and people. Mm. And I couldn't feel it, so it wasn't right. I couldn't yeah. feel it. And this Italian man came up to us and said, come, follow me. And he put his, van, his car in front of our van, he drove us about a couple of k's away to a cave and a garden. He said, that's where it is. He said it had shifted. We, the, nobody there at all, because it wasn't the tourist place. And walked in with the group behind me, saw the blue cobalt light coming down through the cave. And one of the group went, <gasps> and I can, could see the blue light. So it was affirmation that, as you say, things are shifting and changing. I think one thing's important. We always talk about looking after and protecting the planet. Mm -hmm. We usually think about what's on the surface of the planet or the air above the planet. Yes. What we must also look at is the purity of the ley lines and the energy lines. They are to be honoured and protected and looked after. And one of these things that Geraldine was saying about taking up the line, people would go on pilgrimage and walk these lines oh. as a way of honouring the line and also protecting it and keeping it clean. A lot of these energy lines and underground streams have been sabotaged over time 
some have been filled with concrete, some people have uh, quite maliciously manipulated the energy around these sites for whatever reason. And it is for everybody. Everybody has a responsibility to actually protect these lines and look after them. This is part of looking after the planet. I think we've said really from day one here, we've got three Grailhaven places. One is um, a small place in Glastonbury, one uh, Grailhaven on France in the south of France and here at Mount Tambourine. We prefer to describe ourselves not as owners, but as guardians of all that we've been given here. And all three of them are in very powerful energy, ley line convergences, etc., holy water, and so on. Or oh, custodians, yes, that's amazing. You, you, I mean, this obviously relates to the ley lines as well. You talked about you had, you know, you, you other people thought you were crazy. You don't, which, and I absolutely think you're amazing. You talked about opposition. Um, and I was wondering if you were talking about hu human physical opposition or a different type of opposition to what you, the work that you're doing. Um, I would say it comes as tests to us. It, we know now, because we've been doing this for so long, that each time we're about to take on something bigger, you know, first it was the water, flower essences, sacred sites, now three spiritual centers. Every time it gets bigger it's like we get bashed down to the ground um not from any i mean it's always difficult with family and close friends nobody wants you to keep waxing lyrical about out of the body experiences and visions it's not exactly dinner party conversation oh i love it <laughs> <laughs> so you have to choose your people carefully but no we go through trying times at a more etheric level and an emotional level and of course ultimately we do have the choice we could give this all up tomorrow and become normal <laughs> but uh, it's unlikely <laughs> there is there is one thing i think is worth saying when you said is this human opposition yes uh often people are used as agents mm -hmm. for something which is uh, a mischief and people who aren't very structured and aren't very disciplined in themselves for whatever reason often can be used as an agent for chaos and often when opposition comes in it comes in in the form of chaos now chaos is very difficult to work with because it's got no pattern so when something is starting to go wrong where you're having real problems with something chaos is the thing that's used by we like to call it the other side <laughs> Yes, there's lots of names for it. I, I guess it's it's the unpredictability of it. Yeah. Yes, exactly. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Would you... we've, we've had people try to um, sabotage, is another way of saying it, or or disconnect Richard and I in some way over the years. Um, it's just ended up with us being stronger. And it's recognising also when, you know, things come in good packages, um, going back to the water, I mean, very quickly, people wanted to jump on our water and make it, you know, on the supermarket shelf. It was never meant to be that. But if it's money and riches, you know, you can be easily tempted off onto some other path. So we have to remain very clear and rely very much on our guidance to do what we do. 
I definitely believe in the agents of chaos, but I also find, I call it the agents of chaos, but I also find um, fear is, is quite another factor, whether it's, a, it's an agent of fear or the fear that yeah. f- fearful things come up. One, one of the things within all this is courage. This is a right. thing you have to learn, courage. Mm. And it's a thing you have to consciously learn and consciously test all the time. Mm. I mean, for me, I'm a Leo. I'm a double Leo. So courage is a real issue with me. That's not to say <laughs> okay. I'm extremely brave, but it's always <laughs> a, a thing I'm conscious <laughs> of. So courage is a thing you have to stand up for what you believe in. And if you believe in this, you can't say, well, I believe in it today, but I don't think I'll believe in it tomorrow. Or when the, when the going gets tough, I don't believe in it anymore. That's not how it works. Mm. And the more you win and the more you win all the battles, then the more courage you're given to, to take on an even harder battle. Mm. I, I completely get that. But what I was just saying, or potentially I'm talking about myself, sometimes fear does kind of sneak in there sometimes. It, let me tell you that unlike Richard, who I think has always been a, a hero in my eyes. Oh, um, that's beautiful. <laughs> absolutely. Um, I started from a very low point, um, literally in a basement in London with six of us squashed into two rooms and um, alcoholic father and uh, a mother that ended up, um, I don't know what the polite word would be, but, you know, mentally ill for the Mm -hmm. last 30 years of her life. So there was a lot of fear in the household. Yes. As I went through my 20s, I didn't want to be here, to be honest. I became anorexic and it wasn't to be thin. It was to starve myself off the planet. I just couldn't get it. I just couldn't get it here. I was afraid of everything. I was afraid of going out in cars. I was agoraphobic, anorexic, as I say. Um, I I could have listed fears, you know, up to the ceiling. What changed my life at 26 years old? I saw before me the mental hospital and the down path and Mm. none of my family had gone there. Or I just started yoga, meditation, and it was up to me which path I took and to save myself. And I had to work really hard for three years in yoga and a lot of um, meditation of taking out every negative thought and replacing it by a positive thought. You know, all the things we know today, these were quite new, you know, years ago. But I had to really do that transformation and turn myself around. Fantastic. For me, meditation has been an, an incredible support. Hmm. As it is, because that, that's just you with yourself. No one can influence that or sabotage that. And the stronger you get in that, um, that's all you need, really. That is the bridge to all your spiritual gateway. Yeah. Wonderful. So I'd love to discuss your, I mean, I know you briefly touched on it, but your upcoming tour, The Divine Feminine, but about the sacred sites, if if you have time just to talk a little bit about the sites that you're visiting. Okay, so... And the Cathars um, and the Knights Templar, that's fascinating. Exactly. Um, Richard is quite an expert in the Knights Templar. Okay. Um, I'm just looking, are we bright enough there? Yeah. Okay. Um So after the vision of Mary Magdalene in 1992 and her teachings that were passed to me, um, 
we didn't go to France every year, but the more we went there, we could see, you know, the French mystery schools, all the subjects and topics we talk about. It was just so deeply implanted into the south of France. So the places we go are Lourdes. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be so Catholic and religious. It's a place of great beauty with a very, very powerful healing water. So because water has been so much of our life, to go to Lourdes, you can actually, I take people to the baths in the cave rocks and they're submerged in the water. And most of the most incredible, miraculous healings happen there. So every night of the year, there is a procession there. There are prayers in every language. It's like a huge light column over Lourdes. It's much more than you know, what the church has come up mm. with. It was once a Cathar stronghold. So it's always been a sacred site. So from there through, we go to see Black Madonnas. And the cult of the Black Madonna is very, was very powerful. And there are over 500 Black Madonnas in Europe. But it's not just that they're Black Madonnas. There are significant ones that have had um, powerful healings happen in front of them. So we go to Rocamador um, for one famous Black Madonna. But we start this tour with the Gypsy Festival, Sounds which is wonderful. amazing. Uh, the Gypsy Festival, they, the gypsies come from all around the Mediterranean to Saintes Marie de la Mer um, around the 24th, 25th, three days late May. We go there first. And the Black Madonna is taken out of the crypt of the church. There's two columns of white horses with gypsies sitting on them, men gypsies. And they have Sarah, who's supposed to be, um, it's thought, the handmaiden of Mary Magdalene, the child of Jesus and Magdalene, and also the bloodline to the Knights Templar and the Grail Kings. So Sarah is venerated by the gypsies and everyone walks into the sea up to their waist and Sarah is blessed. You have a choice there. You don't have to walk into the sea. Um, and then she's returned to the church and three days of celebrations, guitars, tambourines, dancing. Um, I always say some people should go once in a lifetime, definitely. There's nothing more exciting and colorful and vibrant than the Gypsy Festival. So you've got the kind of gentle waters of the Mother Mary at Lourdes. You've got the vibrant gypsies. You've got the depth of the Black Madonnas and the Cathars. I mean, that's a whole teaching, but they were the, they were kind of along the lines of Gnostics. They didn't believe in church and all the trappings and the priesthood. They believed in a direct experience of God. Nothing less would do. So the, um, Roman Catholic Church didn't want them alive, so they were exterminated. So um, we honour them by going to their sacred sites and their castles also. And where our Grailhaven Retreat Centre is, there's eight Cathar castles pretty much in a circle all around us, including Kakazon, which is the oldest medieval working village in all of Europe. Incredible place. Yes, I've been there. So, it's amazing. Yeah, so that's some of it. <laughs> And the Knights Templar? Well, the Knights Templar, it's very easy to confuse the Knights Templar uh, with the Crusades. They were a very small part of the Crusades. Yes, because one associates them both together. 
Absolutely, and it's quite wrong because okay. only a small group of knights were Templars in the Crusades. Okay. The reason the Crusades have got such a bad history, popular history, is because the majority of people that went on Crusade went there to plunder and rape and rob. Pillage and... And just, you know, just take advantage. But the Knights Templar, from their very conception, had a very strict code of morality. They were knights, they were soldiers, but they had a very strict code about how to behave, and it was their spiritual depth that, that made them different to all the other crusaders. And if you really investigate the beliefs of the Knights Templar, and there are something like 72 basic rules that they followed. They were probably, I would say, true Christians. And they believed in poverty and chastity and obedience. And they completely stuck to their aims and objectives. Their courage was enormous. They would never retreat unless they were outnumbered by more than four to one. They had to keep fighting to the end. Very mm. few of them were ever taken prisoner. It was, it's, they are the, the real warriors, if you like, in, in the true sense of the word. And they're a fascinating group. And of course, once again, they were pretty much exterminated at the end. But the majority of the Gothic cathedrals in Western Europe were built using Knights Templar money. So without the Knights Templar, you wouldn't have Notre Dame, you wouldn't have Chartres, you wouldn't have these amazing Gothic cathedrals because they provided the money for them. Interesting. It's such an area, it's an area that's so rich in history. It's, it's just incredible. Yeah. It's the most concentrated area of spirituality in Europe by far. It's a fairly small area. You don't have to travel very far, but almost every corner has something of great spiritual wealth in it. And even though, you know, there obviously is, you know, what, what's left is the Christian or the Catholic uh, religion of history. Obviously, your tours are non-denominational, doesn't You can be any religion. That's right. Well, yeah. no. we, we follow the pre-Christian thing as much as anything. I mean, the, the pre-Christian Druidic, Celtic religion was, was very, very strong and their belief systems were fascinating. And so often they're replicated here within the Aboriginal belief system because it's all about Earth, Mother Earth, and what we'd like to call invisible magic. You see, St. Oh, Paul's, cathedral, um, Paul's Cathedral, Chartres Cathedral, all of these, they were built over Druidic sites. So we go there, but we're not going for the church. We're going because that is the site. What's underneath, as, yes, as Richard exactly. mentioned before. Beneath. <laughs> it's Let almost me, looking at the unseen, really. That's right. Oh, yeah. It's all about the invisible. Everything we do is about the invisible. It, it's very easy to understand the, the material world. It takes more effort to understand the invisible world. Mm. So it's and the then vibration, you, really, the vibration of these places. And do you sort of verse people or try and um, help them understand the vibration or how to access that on absolutely. the tours? That's yes, absolutely. we've been doing it for years and now we're just about to step into that whole brave new world of online courses. Oh, wow. Okay. 
So the idea with that is everything we're talking about here at the moment that we have all these leading to um, just that you you know are, have the interest of the course and the topic and the subject and or you come with us to follow the course of the Knights Templar to follow mm -hmm. um, the Black Madonnas etc. So it's written into the course um, with uh, the culmination of those teachings actually taking people to Europe because we're there every year and we're in the retreat center in France so people can come um, so uh, if they get go to the website I don't know if you're putting that up at all I'll put it in the show notes but please talk about it absolutely yeah well there's two so grailhaven.com will give you more information that we've been talking about on the water and the flower essences and then grailhavenonfrance.com, um, spell E-N, France.com, um, will give you a slideshow of the property, the centre in France, and you'll also get an itinerary for the healing of the divine feminine, the seeking of her in the south of France, in the outer, but alchemically also recognising the black madonna within you the healing prophetess healer within you so that's part of the journey that we take people on just to say that the retreat center in france is built by volunteers i've had a hundred over 150 young people from all over the world come to help with the building of this place and the process of its building is as important as it's the final result so it's been an absolute joy hosting young people from all over the world with no building skills whatsoever. But that's all part of the fun when things fall down, you know. And they don't only have to be young, right? That's right. <laughs> no, as long as they're keen. Yeah, as long as they have passion, they can come. <laughs> Richard and Geraldine, it's been such an incredible, mind-blowing delight. I've got so much food for thought. I always like to ask the guests, and, I, and you have touched on this, but if someone... We did talk about fear and chaos, but if someone's looking to live a passionate life and potentially have too much chaos in their life or are too fearful, what is your advice? Uh, the first advice is to put away your fear. Think about what's the worst thing that could possibly happen to you. And when you've confronted the worst thing that could possibly happen to you, there's no looking back. And you're looking at me who was extreme coward and afraid of absolutely everything. And I would say for me, it was meditation, yoga, silence, and, and kind of a, um, a mantra of not this, not this, getting all the negatives out of your life and staying with the positive. Fantastic answers. So simple and so true. Thank you so much for being on Passion Harvest. Pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for inviting us. Blessing. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is the end of our passionate episode. Thank you so much for listening. And please subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends and spread the passion. As always, every day, may you be more and more passionate. <laughs>